Welcome to Countdown to Kickoff, part of Oregon College Game Day with Judah Newby and Neil Lomax. Presented by Frost Brood Coors Light on 1029 and 750 The Game. And welcome into Countdown to Kickoff, part of Oregon College Game Day here on 1029-750. The game coming up on the show. It's myself and Neil Lomax, College Football Hall of Famer, Portland State legend, ahead of uh, Ducks and Vikings coming up kickoff at 11 a.m. We will talk to Neil's college coach coming up in 30 minutes, Mouse Davis, calling in uh, from the road, pioneer of the Run and shoot offense. Yeah. Going to talk about the origins of that. So much more. Nick Aliotti will join us live at uh, 10 a.m. as well from the Pac-12 studios in San Francisco. Andrew Greif of the Oregonian at 10.30 as well. But first, continuing the crosstalk that we began at the end of the Oregon College Football Show a few minutes ago. Uh, Brian Perkins, Jordan Kent, the hosts of the Oregon College Football Show, joining us for another segment, uh, gentlemen. Thanks for sticking around, putting in a little overtime. This Ducks PSU game won't go to overtime, but I appreciate you guys putting in the overtime today. Hey, our pleasure. Anytime that we can spend <laughs> a couple more minutes with two just wonderful gentlemen like yourself. Yeah, no Brian, issues Brian and Neil are great people. <laughs> I, I, guess, yeah. I guess Brian's not too bad spending yeah. more time with you. I'm also. excited for the time and a half I'm getting for this. This is great. That's right. That's right. Um, Jordan and Neil, as we get your thoughts on this game and really uh, where college football is at, where football is at, because you two represent two different uh, generations when you were playing. Neil, mm-hmm. of course, in the late 70s at PSU and, and what that was like pioneering in offense, right? Uh, coming in with Mouse Davis, which we'll talk about in about a half an hour. And Jordan, what you were a part of with Mike Bilal there in, in 05 and 06 and those Duck teams and what they accomplished and then you going into the NFL but Jordan, you were introduced to playing competitive football pretty late in your athletic life, right? I mean, was it your junior year of college? That was your first time playing competitive football? Yeah, junior year of college and I never played organized football up until that point and I think <laughs> what blows you away is the speed when you first get started, just how fast everything happens And every athlete can tell you about when the game finally slows down for them. And it just takes a while. You're out there thinking so much rather than reacting. And I think the faster you can get to that point where you're reacting to everything that's happening on the field, that's when you see that major improvement. And so for me, I think I just had so much respect transitioning from a fan to a player. You have a lot of respect for the line play. When it comes to football, I think that's the one thing that as a fan you underestimate the most is how valuable an offensive line is to your hopes on offense. I mean, you can't do anything without a great line. Not quarterback. Not not quarterback. It's amazing. When you you watch the film and the breakdowns, there are so many times when for a great team, they get that extra second or two protection to buy time for the quarterback that can hit the receiver downfield on the one or two post routes you call all game, that's a game-breaking play. Whereas the teams that struggle, you know, maybe it's your backup guard that gets beat on a blitz, quarterback gets sacked, and you miss your chance for a home run play to get yourself back in the game. It's those little things that we oftentimes don't see as a fan that we don't appreciate, and that's really where I think you see a lot of teams separate themselves, and I think that's why when you see in Alabama why they're so good is I like to say they're very good at the unsexy positions. I mean, how many years are they churning out just first-round picks at offensive line or linebacker, defensive line? It's unbelievable. So for me, that was the greatest experience I had coming from a fan to a player is that appreciation for the offensive line and just all the intricacies that take place there. 
And, Neil, we were talking about one of the Duck offensive linemen, Panay Sewell, as a true freshman, first true freshman for the Ducks to start game one on the offensive line since 1997 at left tackle, no less, the blind side. So when you hear Jordan talking about the importance of the offensive line from his experience, I'm sure you can, uh, you know, amplify the importance of that. No, he's preaching. Uh, Keep preaching it. No, no quite. That's the foundation of the team, and not just the passing game. But the running game, he's right about Alabama has an average of seven and a half players every year get drafted in the NFL. Seven and a half players. Average school is two, 1.5 to two. Wow. Average uh, NCAA teams. So you're right. And most of those are the defensive ends, defensive tackles, offensive guards. Once in a while, they throw in a good receiver, running back here and there. But uh, and it's not just Sewell. You know, I look at that offensive line. Uh, I love Throck- Throckmorton on the mm-hmm. right hand side. Um, Jake Hansen, Sean Lemieux, uh, all the guys, uh, Warmack, uh, but you know Panay gets all because he gets all the kind of the sexy stuff in the media because he is a true freshman. Yep. And that's the first time they've had a true freshman, true freshman, not a redshirt, start at left tackle or offensive line for twenty or thirty years. I understand down in Oregon, so that is the foundation. And again, we talk about the passing game, which is true, the extended plays, the offensive line, but the running game. Mm-hmm. You can maintain a running game. We talked about. I'll just throw this out right. When Chip Kelly was there, people forget about this. For five years, they were top six in the nation in rushing. Mm-hmm. Top six for five years. People thought, oh, Marcus Mariota and had this, you had that. No. They rushed the ball so effectively. That was made them so such a fun team to watch. And it's such a good point. I think if you had to pick one position on offense that the average fan pays the least amount of attention to, I think you would say it's the guard. Hmm. Left and right guard on the offensive line. I mean, you look at the center and the snap, you look at your left and right tackles for protecting the quarterback and whatnot, but if you can at any point during this game, if you're watching it, pay attention to the guards and just see what they're doing on their blocks during run plays because they're the ones that are usually paving most of the roadway for the running backs. And we heard Mario Cristobal say that they want to keep the tempo going, but they want to be more in between the tackles with their running game this year. And it starts with those interior linemen as far as what they can do to open things up. And I know it's not as exciting as watching Justin Herbert drop back and throw a 40-yard dart down the field, but when you get into those close possession games Mm -hmm. here, Neil, it's all about how disciplined can your line be? Can they handle their assignments? Because if all five guys can get on their blocks or any running play, that's when teams really start to just hammer it and run the ball down your throat. Yeah, and the guards will take you to the play 78% of the time. The left and right guards will take you play side. Unfortunately, the only time you hear about the center of the guards is holding number 68, (laughs) Shane Lemieux. Oh, God, Shane Lemieux. Oh, crap. That's the only time they mention my name, I get a holding call. So give Shane Lemieux and those guys a little break. They're doing more than – and a lot of times, thank God he's holding if I'm the quarterback. No, great job. (laughs) Grab that guy because that dude – was going to rock my head. So please, in and when in doubt, hold him. Yep. Ten, ten yards is a lot less painful than your quarterback <laughs> yeah. taking a big Justin shot. Justin Herbert is happy once in a while. Yeah. There's a holding call. You can make that up easily. <laughs> 55, Jake Hansen holding. Sorry. Sorry, Jake. You made it. When you step into an NFL training camp or an NFL locker room for the first time, uh, Jordan, you come in as a six-round pick of the Seattle Seahawks after playing a couple of years at the University of Oregon. You're stepping into a, a team with a litany of pro bowlers like Matt Hasselbeck, Big Walt Jones. Sean Alexander, Sean Alexander, just two guy. years removed from, from Alabama, by the way. Yeah, exactly. It, it was, uh, I would be lying if I said I wasn't starstruck. Right. I think the first yeah. day you walked in and you saw 
your name up on a temporary locker, and they had like the nicer lockers. We had the like wheeling ones where they're like, ah, we don't know if you're going to make the team yet. So, wait, or was not. your so, name on tape? Or uh, was no, no. I, I had like a little. Because my name was on tape when I first got there, which is <laughs> no. not, a, not a good sign when it's on the athletic yeah. tape. No, mine was on a plastic printed out thing, but there was Velcro on oh, the back. So, okay. it was very easily okay. removable. Okay. But I, I think the, the NFL level, the briefest way that I can say it is people don't realize how much accountability there is. I tell people, imagine working. And everything you do during the day is filmed, recorded, graded, and rewatched by all of your work peers day after day. And if you have a bad day or too many bad days in a row, there are hundreds of people just as qualified as you are to step into your position to take your job. That's how I would describe being on the fringe of an NFL roster where day after day, it's just survival of the fittest. It's not like college where you know you have a scholarship for four years, so you can kind of deal with growing pains. It's You're seeing grown men get pink slips if they have two false starts in a preseason game or receivers that too many wrong assignments, they're gone the next week. And so I think getting over that hurdle and being able to play with a lot of confidence and freedom while acknowledging that reality is the biggest mental hurdle to get over when you get into the NFL. And Neil, when you're working with young receivers entering an NFL locker room for the first time, going back to your days with the St. Louis and Phoenix Cardinals. What was that like when you're trying to work with young guys coming right out of college and you know their careers are on the line trying to make some of these rosters and yet you don't have the on-field chemistry that you develop with you know, a, a Roy Green yeah. later on and, and, and what have you. But when you get young pass catchers in there, I mean, there's a lot of pressure on them to perform. You're the one delivering them the football in fall camp. Yeah, and they're, they're affecting my career, like what Jordan's talking about. I, I only can control those intangibles or things that I can't control, like being on time, you know, what, 6 a.m. meeting? No, 5.30. Yes. I'm, I'm getting my butt there at 5.30. That's what I learned. As a matter of fact, 5 o'clock, so I'm going to go in the weight room a little bit to show them I do care. Who's this kid getting there at 5 a.m.? That's the little things that I can control. I can't control those receivers dropping the balls. I can control some of the linemen things by buying them nice clothes, buying them <laughs> nice food credit. I'm going to do everything I can because those boys up front, they're going to make sure I might stay on that team. What were early kickoffs like when you were playing? I mean, we yeah. got an 11 a.m. kickoff for Ducks Portland State. Jordan, I know you played against Portland State for a game in your mm-hmm. career. Uh, that uh, you know, one of the previous four all-time matchups between these two programs. And Neil, you of course played all those early kickoffs mm-hmm. at the NFL level as well. Is it difficult to get your body up for a game like this this early? I would say 11 a.m. is a little tricky. You can talk about having early fall camp practices and doing Oklahoma drill at 9 a.m., but. 11 a.m. is still very early. You're still kind of getting going for the most part. That's why I was a I was a real fan of kind of the 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. time slot for a kickoff. Anything later than that, you feel like you're sitting around all day and you're just eating and sitting and watching movies and you get a little restless. I think 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. you still get to sleep in a little bit, but then hey, you get to the stadium and then you can get things rolling. And you know, I'll let Neil speak for himself, but. In the NFL, we've talked about it before, West Coast teams that fly to the East Coast. Mm-hmm. We started the year off against Buffalo, 1 p.m. kickoff East Coast time. It's 10 a.m. for our bodies, even though we were there a day in advance, and we were very sluggish out the gate. And there's proof and data that shows that those West Coast teams struggle with those 1 p.m. kickoffs on the East Coast. Yeah, so you have a, he's right. So you have 11 o'clock kick today. But you see, so you have a pregame meal. You know, there's probably a walkthrough, 7 a.m., pregame meal maybe at 7.30, there's a chapel service or taping, and then individual meetings, offensive team meetings, defensive team meetings, then get to the locker room by 9. So this is starts at 6.30, 7 o'clock. But 
If I had my brother, I'd rather do the 11 o'clock. And I only played in a few of them. The Monday night games were killers. Mm. <laughs> I mean, 8 o'clock kickoff time against the Redskins. You're up at 8. You had breakfast. I can't take a nap. Do I go to the mall? Do I do this? Another meeting? I mean, I don't know how many you played in. I, I no, played in a couple. It was, those are the worst. But you're on Monday night TV. So don't mess that up. Right. <laughs> I mean, Lomax, come on, man. Lomax, can you play for us? Uh, so that was kind of fun to play my night and, and those games. But still, that time to lay around was the worst. Well, the other thing is, especially if it's a road game, traveling back, we had a, I think it was a 7 p.m. kickoff at Tampa Bay. Wow. So that game gets over 11 o'clock. You're finally on the plane at 12.30, and then you have a six-and-a-half-hour flight from Tampa back to Seattle. You get home at 4 a.m., and then you're wrecked for the next day. And That's so killer. Those are brutal. I, I am oh, a fan. Oh, put your wine in. It's a charter flight. <laughs> God dang, his charter flight. He's got his – when they play, they, we're, we're, we're busting at the St. Louis Cardinals back to freaking St. Louis. So I don't want to hear about this bitching about going back. Can I say that, by the way? I don't yeah, know. yeah, you can. Uh, you, you know, can. No, Jordan, let me start with that. When, you know, we, we had the bus back to St. Louis after we played Tampa Bay. Uphill both ways. I mean, we had the Bidwells. Hey, we didn't have it easy. The haagen that we ate on the plane uh, was sometimes a little too frozen. You had to wait a couple minutes for it to defrost. So don't tell me we had it easy. Oh, I got to love it. haagen paying you? No. <laughs> they should. They should. Wait, they so should. a logo no. on your sleeve with haagen No, no. I wish. He's, got, he's yeah, got a NASCAR got shirt going. He's got more logos on his shirt than a yeah. NASCAR. Yeah. All right, guys. We got to wrap it up. But let's get a prediction on this game, right? Can we get one? Can we get a point? Okay, first. The prediction is, again, are they going to wire the money? Are there going to be a check? Is it cash? Armored truck? How are we, That's my prediction. How are they going to get the money? How about a friendly uh, Actually, come on. This, this is this is what Oregon's doing the first three games. We're going to play fast, find out what, who we're about. I think it's a great time to put in Braxton Burmeister again. I want to see Shuck play. Yeah. Tyler, I mm-hmm. want to see him play. This new redshirt rule, Jordan, yeah. it's four preseason it's games. Dude, it's really four like it. preseason games. Yep. You don't have to cut anybody. No. Awesome for these colleges. So, play. Yeah, come on. If Oregon has to put 65-70, and that's with... Tyler and and Birdmeister playing the second half. What about you? Yeah, I think I've got Oregon about 65-17 in this <laughs> one. I think the defense really shows out. They do a better job tackling. They're not going to spot Portland State 10 points like they did with Bowling Green. I think whether it's Shuck or Burmeister, you've got such a stable of running backs that are yeah. talented that will be playing <laughs> exactly. in the second half that I think they're going to be the ones that steal the show in the second half, to be honest. I think Herbert rolls in the first half in this one. Loser shows up in their team's mascot next week. How about if well, we, 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 talked, we talked about this at the end of our show? You give, uh, okay, you give me seventy. Uh, yeah, you get George. You yeah. give me seventy. Okay. How about this? If the, if, okay, we'll go. If, 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 the duck, if the ducks don't score sixty-five, I'll have coconut milk in there my coffee. No stevia. I don't right. want that. But over, but over sixty-five, you got to go with the almond milk here. Sixty-five. I'm on my knees for seventy. I need five more points. <laughs> I need five more. I'll give you sixty-seven. Sixty-seven and a half. How this about is, that? This is we're on radio. We're talking about this. Over this under is sixty-seven, 67 and, a and a half. Sixty-seven point yeah. five. That's a lot yeah. of points. I think they've only. Is that a radio station? What station are we on? 750? Oh, 60. Okay. Oh All right. All right. I'll take it. I'll give you free golf lessons. All right. Oh. Sounds good. Right. I need that. Absolutely. I, I know. I've seen you play. Free. <laughs> I might need Boom. to make a bet with you if we can get free golf Boom. lessons out of it. Right. All right. That's Brian Perkins next week. Brian and Jordan Kent host the Oregon College Football Show. Next week it will be at 10 a.m. Guys, uh, thanks so much for joining. Hey, and he's uh, a lot of fun. And Neil Lomax. Great segment there, Brian.
Yeah, way to go, Brian. <laughs> you know, I really Pitch brought a lot of insight to the table. <laughs> but, but, but he, hey, let her in band, though. So yes, he, that's hey, right. yeah. he Look, listens give very well. Look, right. you need to know about Trumpet. I'm your man. Yeah. Hey, Seahawks get a win in Denver Sunday? <sighs> I'm going to go no, oh, actually. Man. Oh, make, yeah. make, I'm in a bad mood now. Yeah, I just, hey, I just think altitude. Roy Roy going to get some touchdowns. Right. I, listen, I, it's so hard for me to call NFL games. Uh, it's uh, It feels like every single week it's a coin yeah, flip for the most part. But no, I, I will put it this way. I think Seattle's going to do better than people think this year. I think they've got a much more talent on that roster than people think, especially with the new young He's guys. throwing us a bone, Judah. Yeah. He's making us feel better about the yeah. Seahawks. I'll take what I can get when the national media is trying to take us down. I'll tell you that. Sports Illustrated. What What is with that, man? Can't He's believe still that. salty. I'm very salty. It's going to be a great show. We got Mouse Davis coming up at 9:30. Nick Aliotti at 10, and uh, Andrew Gray for the Oregonian for final time. By the way, it's Andrew's last game. Yeah, covering the Ducks for the O before he goes covers the Clip Show, the Steve Ballmer uh, show down in Los Angeles. Mm. Brian Perkins, Jordan Kent, guys, sincerely thank you. Always Hopefully, a pleasure. this is the first of many that we do this. I know. I know. Yeah. I know. 20 minutes. I, I, I see this. All right, let's get out of here. Open to the let's get out of here. Yeah, geez. We'll be back. Meters Mark Camden on the kickoff. Part of Oregon College Game Day. Coming up on the game. Mouse Davis will join us in a few minutes here on Countdown to Kickoff. Judah Newby. Neil Lomax, the College Football Hall of Famer. The Oregon Sports Hall of Famer. The Portland State Hall of Famer. And, and grandfather to two. And grandfather to beautiful two. Beautiful little girls. So let's just put that in there. That's a little higher priority. That wasn't on your Wikipedia page, though. It wasn't? I got to go in there and edit. <laughs> I'm going to go in there and edit all that stuff out and make it look even better. I don't know. Uh, that was so much fun talking to Jordan Kent and Brian Perkins, part of our crosstalk from the Oregon College Football Show. Just the little anecdotes and stories that you guys uh, can relay about your respective times in competitive football. Second to none, Neil. I tell you what, I mean, to have the, the listening audience get little snippets into what that life is like, that's invaluable. Well, I love being called an athlete when I played. I mean, I, I, I do. It was, God, you're a great athlete. You're a quarterback. You kinda, but Jordan Kent, three sports, yeah. Hall of Fame, that's an athlete. Yep. That's when you have your name and your position and you see that A-T-H, and you just, that's all you see. That, that's a Jordan Kent. Yeah, he's going to play. He can probably play seven, eight positions. Yeah. I bet he can be a left guard. I mean, he kind of was saying that left guards are more important, right guard. It's true. I think he can pull. And yeah, a left I, guard that can run a 4 3 40. And once in a while, I go ahead and hold. It's okay. That's right. Just go ahead and hold. They hold every play yeah. anyway. Come on. This will be a rapid fire segment here. Let's run through some of the uh, top pack 12 games, starting with number 17 USC at number 10 Stanford, 5 30 p.m. on Fox. Big game. For both of these teams, uh, Neil, USC, both of our preseason picks to win the Pac-12 South. Stanford, I know you weren't as high on to compete in the Pac-12 North. You liked Washington and Oregon to be the top two teams out of the North Division. But that being said, Stanford, six-point favorite on the farm and the first road start for the 17-year-old SC quarterback, JT Daniels. And in week two, I mean, how about this Pac-12? National implications on this one. And, you know, JT Daniels had a great week last week. They came. They, they beat UNLV, UNLV very well in the second half. Even though the running Rebs put on about 250 yards of rushing, which over is a 300 yards. It was over three, okay, I yeah. saw 257. Yeah. Maybe that was the third quarter. So anyway, that concerns me because Stanford. That's what Stanford does. But if USC can shut down Ortega Whiteside, mm-hmm. I mean JJ went off last week, and KJ Costello played very well too. I, I still think SC overall has better players defensively better players offensively. Both teams got talent, but USC has a little more talent. And I'm just impressed with this this senior from high school, JT Daniels. So I got SC. 
Daniels, no interceptions last week. That's a huge category for a young quarterback, of course. I'm going to take uh, Stanford, but begrudgingly, I think SC covers the plus six. 12.30 p.m. on ABC, Colorado, Nebraska. Man, what a rivalry this was in the Big 7, the Big 8, wow. and the Big 12 conferences. They are meeting for the first time since they left the Big 12 conference, now Nebraska and the Big 10, and of course Colorado in the Pac-12. Uh, Nebraska's opener last week canceled due to weather against Akron. The Zips. Memorial Stadium is going to be on fire for their boy, Scott Frost, debuting as Nebraska head coach. And they're taking on a Colorado team, though, Neil. Steven Montez went 22 of 25 last week. This boy can play. Well, McIntyre's a great coach, too. Mike does a great job there. This is Big 8. This is Big 8 stuff. Look at the the history here. Cordell Stewart and... You know, all those teams they had back in those days. Westbrook. Oh, my God. It was so fun to watch. Exactly. Exactly. And and this is it. So, opener for them. And they play home and home, right? That's right. Um, So, it'll be two years in a row now. But big, what a a great clash of rivalries. It's going to be exciting to watch this game. And I think at home, Scott Frost, first opening game, they're going to pull it out. Mike McIntyre, the 2016 Paul Bear Bryant Award winner for Coach of the Year. Scott Frost did it in 2017. So the last two coaches of the year meeting in this one. Uh, Arizona State and Michigan State in Tempe tonight. It's a 7.45 p.m. kickoff on ESPN. Does Herm Edwards pull the upset of Mark D'Antonio? Michigan State open as about a a 6.5-point favorite. That's all the way down to, well, 5.5 right now. So Arizona State still a home dog. But, Neil, ASU is so good against the Big Ten when they're playing in Tempe. Well, they're in, and it's a 7.45 kick, and Jordan and I were talking about time zone issues. So here comes Michigan State from Lansing. So this is like 11 o'clock p.m. kick for them. Uh, it's 10, but still, very late kickoff. Long day. Has a lot to – but Herman Edwards is not playing. Okay? He's coaching. But Manny Wilkins is playing. And Nikhil Harry is playing. Mm. So those are your two key playmakers for the Sun Devils. And they will pull it out because of those two experienced players on the offensive side of the ball. Sun Devils are 9-0 and at home against the Big Ten. Hmm. I did not know that. I'm taking ASU in this game, man. Well, so we agree on something then. That we That's do. Good. Okay. We do. All right, we got to hit the break. But coming up on the other side, we'll be joined by none other than the pioneer of the run-and-shoot offense. The coach of Neil Lomax's Portland State Vikings in the late 70s. And June Jones before that. Going to bring that up as well. Daryl Mouse Davis joining us on the other side of this timeout. Matthew Zimmer's got your college football scoreboard update, and we'll be back in four minutes. This is counting down to kickoff on Oregon College Game Day, 1029, 750 the game. The Oregon Ducks are taking on the Portland State Vikings in a week two showdown. 11 a.m. kickoff from Austin Stadium, the fifth overall meeting between these two schools. Ducks are 4 0. Judah Newby, Neil Lomax talking about that game, all the other action around the Pac 12. Leading you all the way up to 11 a.m. This is Countdown to Kickoff, part of Oregon College Game Day on 102.9750. The game will also bring you the post-game show, the Oregon College Football post-game show. It is right after the final whistle of the Duck game. So whether you're watching it or whether you're there, you want to sound off, tune in right here. 102.9750, the game, right after final whistle, two-hour show, myself and Neil Lomax. It is story time here on the show. We got on the phone lines right now the former head coach of the Portland State Vikings from 1975 to 1980, a coaching career that spanned over five decades. One of the legends of football in the state of Oregon, especially in the city of Portland, the former collegiate coach of my co-host Neil Lomax 
who pioneered the run-and-shoot offense with the Portland State Vikings. Daryl Mouse Davis is on the line. Coach, thanks so much for taking the time. How are you this morning? Hey, I'm fine. I'm going to uh, Medford, Oregon, as we speak, for Phil Cam's wedding. So I just pulled off and uh, stopped in Roseburg and uh, enjoying the day. That's fantastic, Coach. you feel like football's in the air? Absolutely. Time to tee it up and get it on. <laughs> Some good ball games coming on, and uh, you guys have to be excited to get in the middle of the Ducks game and see how the boys do against them. Well, Mouse, hey, Neil here, the big kid here, Mouse. Hey, uh, so so Phil, Phil Cam's wedding? My my yeah. offensive tackle. That's exactly right. The big stud gonna hook him up today. <laughs> so he's not exactly twenty five or twenty six. So I won't go into that. How many? This is not his first marriage. Is it not a first rodeo or what? <laughs> no, it's a second uh, marriage. But actually, his wife is who he's marrying. I mean, they've been together for uh, you know fifteen, twenty, okay. thirty. I don't know. Long time. Okay. Well, don't get caught in the Roseburg too long. Go talk to Thurman Bell there. You know, he's been there for 100 <laughs> years, too. So let's don't get caught in that. But, hey, so, Miles, we got our we got our bikes going down there. I mean, it's $575,000. Let's just put it out there. I mean, that's it, what, what yeah. a great opportunity for the university there at the park blocks to, to take care of facilities, take care of, hopefully, uh, scholarships, uh, the, the little things like housing, and locker room and travel and getting other scars, getting other aid, grant and aids to some of these student athletes. It's a big deal, isn't it? It's an absolute necessity. They haven't been drawing much at home, and that goes along with winning. you got to put the wins on the board. and So they're going another direction right now, picking up big beans from the Ducks, which is nice for the Ducks and nice of the Ducks to, to do it for Portland State. And uh, just hope the kids come out to play and make some ball game out of it. What were the opportunities to play big schools like when you were coaching on the park blocks? Were, were the big schools reaching out to you guys wanting to play, or, or how receptive were they to that, that idea? No, they really weren't. You know, I talked to uh, – I used to get on the radio and whine about Oregon not play us and – Brooks, you say, little man, shut up. What are you talking about? <laughs> we tried to get a ball game with them, but they really weren't into that at that time. And they weren't given the big guarantees like they are now. And so it wasn't, uh, it really wasn't in the cards at that time to play. Well, and, and two mouse with June, you know, 75, 76, and before I got there, why would they want to play? They had, they're probably going to lose. I mean, Oregon State, no disrespect, but late well, 70s, I thought, I remember when I was there, Mouse, you talked about Oregon State did not want to play us because they thought they might get beat. Well, I think there's a good possibility. When both you and June were there, we were putting up a lot of points, scoring a lot of points, and, uh, well, I don't know what we averaged your senior year, but it, it was uh, astronomical. And, uh, you know, people talk about how they just stopped that. Well, it looks like... Um, they're having a little trouble with the wide stopping it right now. So I don't know that it's changed. All that much. I think the football field's about the same size. And I think that was probably uh, a good thing the way it worked out. I think it's going to be a good thing for Portland State now the way it worked out. 
because they get a big uh, dollar program that they absolutely need. Mouse Davis is joining us. Countdown to kick off. Jude Newby, Neil Lomax here on 1029 and 750 The Game. Uh, Mouse, wanted to get your side from the relationship with my co-host, uh, Neil Lomax, here. Obviously, he <laughs> stepped in as a as a true freshman at Portland State in the 77th season. But can you describe what it was like when you were first encountered Neil, first going to his high school games, and your first impressions of him? Absolutely. He's playing Lake Oswego, big kid. I liked the way he didn't throw much in high school. I had to kind of watch him on the sideline like the way he threw the ball. And I had recruited another kid from Eugene, so I had Eugene, kid, and Neil. And I really thought the Eugene kid was better. He was in the passing offense and so on. It took Neil about a week to beat him out. And then we had a starting quarterback come back, make another few ball games, get him. In those days, you didn't have freshmen coming in earlier. You, you had to start with them on day one. And the big kid took over and did a great job. And it, was, it wasn't that he couldn't throw. He just hadn't – that wasn't what they did in high school. And he had a good high school coach. He did a good job with him and all. But the big kid came in and uh, lit it up. And then we had a, a romance for like four years. And uh, we even brought one of his little receivers back that had gone to a JC. And then we got a bunch of other Smurfs and uh, two big kids to throw the ball to and uh, got some kids up front that could hold things up long enough for the big kid to get it out. We had a great, absolutely a great offense, and uh, obviously it starts with a quarterback, and that hasn't changed. You still got to start with a quarterback. That's a very, very unique position, and if you don't have one, you ain't going to throw it much. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, what were your impressions of Coach Davis early? Well, what a personality. I mean, I think I've uh, accepted that and actually evolved into that kind of personality that he taught me. Have fun. Play fun. Play fast. You know, and, and when you don't have a punter on the team, I mean, it is awesome. I mean, we're, we're, we're going for it on fourth down most of the time. And, no, he's right, though. He, he just had a mouse, and he's, you can hear on the – the phone now he still sounds like he's you know 40 years old and coaching me and june and man we had two by two and in motion and throwing that sucker every single down man i was no problem and in practice people gotta understand i'm throwing 100 150 200 balls in practice it was nothing that's what we did and we had fun i mean even the bus rides mouse i mean got these charter flight jordan kent's complaining about a charter flight from you know, yeah. Tampa. I'm on his butt about that. We're taking bus rides to Pocatillo and bus rides down to San Luis Obispo. I don't want to hear about this, okay? McDonald's sacks on the way home. <laughs> right, Mouse? Absolutely. We had those kids that got in line to go to the nearest buffet that we could get to. <laughs> hey, didn't make any difference. You go score, no one said anything about it. That's right. Yeah, we had some great, great times, and... Uh, it's nothing more fun than taking a bus ride all the way to Montana and uh, coming out smoking the ball and throwing touchdowns. That's That makes it fun. You mentioned some of the guys I, I played with, Judah and Mouse. So Clint Didier has two Super Bowl rings. Yeah. And that wow. guy was like 6'5", 6'6", weighed about a buck ninety. 
you know, buck 80 and ran pretty good. And the rest of the guys, he's right, had a little Smurfs before the, the Redskins called them the Smurfs. We did. Everybody was about 5'10", 5'9", little jitterbugs running around. What was the average mouse, the average weight of our offense, offensive lineman? Jeez, I don't even have any idea, but... In those days, there weren't the big old giants like there are now. No, no, I, I, I weighed, I weighed more, I weighed more than Jeff Long, and Jeff Long is my left tackle, and I'm two, I'm two fifteen, and he's two thirteen. What's, what's wrong with that picture? There you go. What is wrong with that picture? That was uh, how it was in those days. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you do what you do. We had some great kids, though. They all came to play, and great fun. And uh, as long as you're ringing up the touchdowns. No one seems to care about the size of the kids. <laughs> yeah, and, and let me ask you this: So, how'd you how'd you scale, schedule Delaware State? <laughs> Let's talk okay, about. How about this? Come on. Now, this is honestly God truth. <laughs> Delaware State, we needed. Uh, we moved up in the classification, so we needed one more. I think it was one AA or whatever it was to uh, stay in that classification. So Delaware State had an opening. So I called the guy and said, yeah, we, you know, what we could do as far as bringing them out. And I got their roster of kids they recruited, and I said, oh, yeah, we're in trouble. I mean, these guys are studlies. <laughs> they got them all from Florida and all over. Then I got, in those days, you get can of film. We got a can of film. Yeah, can of and film. on the film, Delaware was misspelled. I thought, well, this is really, we got a chance. Then I got the film, I said, oh, God, these guys are terrible. I mean, it just... And I told um, Roy, I love, I said, you know, we could score 100 points against these guys. Roy, oh, yeah, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we scored 40. Oh, I remember the score is uh, 41, uh, 42 nothing. And it's still in the first quarter. And a minute and 30 seconds. And I go down and tell the rest of the We just scored. So I went in to tell France and the rest of the kids that they're in at the start of the second quarter. And LaFrance, being a bright kid, said, well, what happens if we get the ball back? I got there's only 60 seconds. He, <laughs> I said, I know, but the way this is going, we might get it back. I said, well, we get it back first thing then for the first quarter. So, of course, we get it back. And I don't know if you remember, but you came up and you said, uh, what do you want? And I said, what do you want? <laughs> And you said, "Let's go for it." Well, we don't have any. We didn't have any. Well, we didn't have any running plays, so I don't know why I asked you. The, I, why would I ask you that damn question? What do I want? I mean, it's rip, scramble, right, or load, scramble, left. That's all it was. And we had thirty adjustments from those dang scrambles, and God Didier made a made an eight route, and boom, let's get the extra point team. Well, I, I I wanted to go for two. No why, deal. why in the hell are we kick, kicking the extra going. point? Let's go for two and put 50 on them. Come on, mouse. <laughs> 49, isn't that something? 49, 49 enough in the first quarter. Is that, that was yeah, a seven-touchdown game? Seven-touchdown pass in one quarter. That's never well, been matched. We go ahead how, how, do you, how do you get the ball that many times? That's the question i got to ask. Well, how, how can you get it? Do you onside kick? Yeah, it didn't take long. I think we had the ball like uh, a little over three minutes in the first quarter. We scored 49, and uh, so we get in the second quarter, and we score with the second string and the third string, and then we come in at halftime, and the kids are having a hell of a time. They're giggling and laughing, and I'm mounting them up. Oh, it pissed me off so much. So then, they, well, I guess we're supposed to go out and play again. <laughs> That's right. And I don't care who we got in there. Our job on offense is put the ball in the end zone. So 
if you hit a four string, you're still trying to score. We're not going to go out there and kneel down. We're not going to do that stuff. So we scored and scored and scored, and that's what we ended up with. <laughs> it was a big number. But uh, And then what do you tell a coach when you walk across the field after you beat him 105 nothing? He had come in earlier, and he had called me and asked me where this particular part of Portland was. He had a sister living there. So I told him what about it was. So I'm walking across the field, and I think, oh, and I say to this guy, I said, oh, yeah. I said, did you find your sister yesterday? He said, yes. Oh, good. So that's how we ended up. And so you did not hand him a check? You didn't hand him a check for $575,000, did you? Hey. We'd had five hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. We might have had a better, little, little better trip to Montana. <laughs> We'd used it differently. I'll tell you what, though, those points. I think we did. We averaged sixty-five points a game my senior year. And here's that how it works, right. though. Mouse got a lot of attention. The, the Portland State got huge attention. My lineman got attention. Clint Didier got attention. Yeah. I got attention. That's how I was drafted. You're scoring that kind yeah. of point. I don't care where you play. And you play like that, and you're putting up those numbers. Yeah. We had more scouts from the NFL start coming out after that game. Who in the? Who are these guys <laughs> over there? Who's this mouse, Davis? And his skinny kid, this pro, huh? Go ahead. Go I ahead. Just said, I remember this pro scout comes in, and I try to show you off. So we were doing all these different things, and this pro scout kid, he said, "The kid really is pretty good, isn't he?" I said, "Yeah, I think so." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, thing, the the fact that a Portland State quarterback can finish seventh in Heisman Trophy voting. Yeah, Portland State. I mean, that, I mean, Mouse. That's spectacular. Incredible. Could have pecked me off if he didn't win it. <laughs> do, you know, uh, do you know who you were right behind in the voting? Well, Rodgers won it from the running back. Yep. George Rodgers won it from uh, uh, South Carolina. And you had, come on, you had Hugh Green. Your best friend, Hugh Green. Lawrence Taylor. I mean, they had 20, they're 28 picks in the, the draft, and they had 25 picks were defensive players in 1981. That's Is a, that right? Yeah. Oh, Ronnie Lott, Kenny Easley. I mean, the names go on and on, Mouse. But I'll tell you what, Mouse. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, we played fun, and we played fast. And that was back in the day, we did. Herschel Walker was, was third great. that year. In the Herschel voting. Walker. And Jim McMahon was fifth. No, no, no. You're going the wrong year. You're going, I'm, I'm telling you, that's the wrong year. No, 1980 yeah, yeah. Heisman yeah. Trophy voting. I wrote it down. Jim McMahon, fifth in the Heisman Trophy Well, 81, voting. though. I think this is 81. Oh, was it? Well, I, before, it was your Jim senior McMahon? year. It was after oh, because he's year. a junior. Yeah. yeah okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't the draft. It was the Heisman gotcha. voting. Yeah, yeah. Jim McMahon beat me out? By two. Fifth? Yeah. <laughs> Dang him. I know. I know. What a... We got to get him on and talk about that. Kick his butt when I see him. Well, he's been kicking out a little too much. I'll, I guess I'll leave him alone, Mouse. I'll leave Jimmy Mack alone. Hey, hey, Mouse. That's good. Before Thanks. we uh, before we let you go, just the run and shoot. I mean, I know you said that you didn't invent it. Where'd you get it from? Because you certainly are the face of this uh, really historic well, offense. I, now that's that's gave way to the spread offenses we see today. I mean, it all kind of originates yeah. with you. But I I know you got it from somewhere as well. Well, I got it from a book called Run and Shoot. A high school coach in Ohio uh, was, and I stole his formation, basically. And then the basic, some of the basic thoughts he had, and then we put our package together, and it evolved as we went along. We got better, and we're still changing it, you know, after you run it 20, 30 years. You're still trying to evolve it and make it better, and, and it did make it better. Hawaii now is running it. 
they're back running again, and they've looked very good. And they're putting their own twist on it too. They run the offense, and then they're going to add this, they add that, you know. And that's what you do with the offense when you're a coach. You continue to do it, like the big kids coaching now. So I'm sure he's got his approach to what he is doing, and whatever it is, it's going to change year to year because you're always trying to make it better. And that's part of the deal. You know, you just – and the better players you get, the better coach you become. And the better coach you become, the more people listen to you. The more they listen to you, the more you can change. Then you can make it better, get better kids, and on and on. <laughs> that's the way football goes. Last thing for you, Mouse Davis joining us here on the Countdown to Kickoff. Legendary Portland State coach. Time in a whole bunch of professional leagues as well, including offensive coordinator – for Barry Sanders and the Lions in the late 80s. Man, I want to ask you about that, too. But as we wrap it up, though, Mouse, hypothetically, if there was a 20-something young football fan listening to the show right now, Mouse, Neil, what's your advice to the younger generation growing up in the 21st century? What's your advice to millennials that really they don't know anything about life? they got to buy into the team. they got to be a part of the team then bust their butt to get in shape and do the necessary things to become better at what you do. And it doesn't change in football. That's the reason you win or the reason you get beat because you're really working at it. And I think kids are great. They're great right now. I sometimes go out to Central Catholic, another coach out there pretty well, and their kids are working their fast. Kids don't change, I'm telling you. Football makes you better. You make football better, and that's the necessary thing that, got to go into the team mouse man that that's so true uh i'm coaching high school now is this they control two things their attitude and their effort that's what high school kids do and if they don't have that attitude absolutely a positive attitude then they don't have a very max they don't give maximum effort and these 15 16 17 year old kids they're all great kids they just make terrible choices (laughs) and there's consequences of those choices so we can stay on that we can stay on that soapbox for a while but uh Mouse, you're the. Yeah. I mean, tell you what, Mouse, we had so much fun, and you yeah. are the reason. You're the reason why uh, I played in the pros. You know that, and we've talked. You yeah. and I have maintained a friendship for all these years, and just want to tell you again how thankful I am that I didn't go play baseball someplace. That you gave me a phone call and said, "Hey, kid, I got like a parking spot and a partial a partial scholarship. Uh, good luck. Come to Park Blocks. We start August first. <laughs> Come down and set records. It'll never be broken. How about that? <laughs> I just got a smile. Great. He's the man. That's Mouse, great. you're the best. Love you. Love you, my hey, coach. Hey, love you, man. You do good. Hey, give them uh, give them something to talk about and root the bikes a little bit. To see what happens against the Ducks. I got my I got my Portland State pullover on. I'm I'm supporting the the bikes <laughs> here. I've got the green and white yeah, on. Baby. Come on. Go Vikes. Okay. <laughs> well, have a great one and do good today. Thanks, Mouse. Appreciate the time. There he is. Yep, there he is. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So much fun hearing you guys uh, reminisce on, on the Portland State stories back in the day. Something that, uh, you know, younger football fans, they, they, we just don't know. We just don't know what that was like. And four-year starter setting records, 90 NCAA records by the time you left. College Football Hall of Fame right here. Five blocks from where we are right now. Yeah, and I love the fact he said nothing's changed. I mean, he started Hillsboro High School, Milwaukee High School. He coached in all these high schools here in the 60s, 
early 70s, got his chance. Uh, kid from Oregon College of Education down there. Coach down at Klamath Falls, OIT. So he's been around. And for him to say, you got your high school kids out there right now, it hasn't changed. There's no secret. There's no magic spell. If you're not going to work hard and be dedicated and be committed to the team and to the effort of otherness, it's about otherness and that attitude and effort. I'm glad to hear a coach like that who's he's 84, 84, 85. He looks like he's 40. He is awesome, man. I love the guy. Write down that stuff, kids. Get better. All right, we're up against a break. We'll hit it here. Another brilliant football mind coming up on the other side. Nick Aliotti, former Duck defensive coordinator with the Pac-12 Network. He's joining us on the phone coming up. You're listening to Countdown to Kickoff. Chewed newbie Neil Lomax, part of Oregon College Game Day, 1029-750 the game. Welcome in. Countdown to Kickoff, Hour 2, part of Oregon College Game Day on 1029-750 the game. Chewed newbie Neil Lomax, T-minus one hour from the Ducks, kicking off with Portland State from Autzen Stadium. Ducks trying to get to 2-0. Portland State playing an FBS foe for the second time in as many weeks. And then it's FCS teams the rest of the way for Bruce Barnum and company. Let's go out to the phones right now, though, to talk to the former Duck defensive coordinator with Mike Bellotti and Chip Kelly. Now with the Pac-12 Network, Nick Aliotti joining us on the line, on the road, on his way to the Pac-12 Network studios. Coach, it's Judah. It's Neil Lomax. How are you today? Good morning, man. Doing outstanding. So good to talk to you, and uh, we get to talk to you about uh, once a week. I understand you were in Eugene earlier this week. Is that right? What kind of feel did you get around the Oregon program? Well, I live in Eugene, so. Uh, well, that I makes sense. I get, <laughs> yeah, I get I get the paper and I follow what's going on. You know, uh, I think they're happy about the win, uh, the good convincing win. And so uh, they just want to continue to improve and get better each week. So I think they're looking to hopefully do what they should do against a team like Portland State and be able to play uh, a lot of their backup guys. Hey, Coach Neil Lomax here. How are you? I'm good, Neil. How about yourself, my man? I'm doing awesome. We just had uh, Mouse Davis on, my coach, back, you know, 100 years ago and what we did down there in the park blocks. And I know you uh, you remember those days. And um, and now, you know, what you've seen the last 15, 20 years, almost 80% of these schools, everybody, two-by-two, two, trips, Leo Trio, run-and-gun, Spread, zone re, I mean, what you've seen the last 15, 20 years, uh, you know, we kind of started that, and that's what this everybody's doing. Your take on that. Yeah, I would give Mouse a lot of credit. You guys there at Portland State with the run and shoot and, and wide open attack, and then Dennis Erickson did a lot of that kind of stuff at Washington State that I remember. Now everybody's doing it, and, you know, it, it, it has made the game – much tougher to defend. It's so tough to defend people nowadays because it's such a space game, and therefore there's a lot of one-on-ones, not only in in coverage and things like that, but then tackling on the edge and the perimeter. So tackling is a is very very uh, it's a, it's a it always has been, but it's, you have to be able to tackle now because it's such a space game. 
Yeah, and I, I totally agree. I thought what I've seen, you know, Nick, over the last 15, 20 years, even high school ball, you know, sideline to sideline, you get you get the six, seven defenders out of that box area, out of that hash to hash where the run game is, is to me, very, very underrated, too, because you want to spread them out to run. And I brought up the statistics that folks, folks don't know about. You're there when Chip... They 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 were top five, top ten in the nation in rushing. Absolutely, that was Chip's thing. You know, people spread you out not only to pass the ball, and you you know that Chip really wanted to run it. He wanted to run it first. In fact, I think that Oregon under Chip, and then a couple years with Helfrich, I think they I believe they led the Pac-12 in rushing ten straight years. Ooh. And you don't think that out of a spread team. You think that more of a a hard-nosed downhill team like a, a Alabama or a Stanford, somebody like that. But Oregon ran the ball, although it was different, a different way of running it, ran the ball very effectively. So then that, that changes your dynamics and your philosophy defensively, Nick. So you, now you got recruiting. you got to get the Jalen Jelks. you got to get the Austin Faliu's. you got to get the Justin Hollinses and the Lamar Wint, who have such speed on the edge because you're containing and you can't be bringing four or five. You want long-levered guys that are good in space. Uh, like I said, both in in holding the line of scrimmage. We were looking for three big guys to hold the line of scrimmage, eat up a bunch of blocks, free up the linebackers, and then the edge of the defense. The edge of the defense mm-hmm. is so important. It always has been, but the perimeter of the defense is key in in any defensive scheme. You must not allow teams to have explosion plays, Neil and Judah, because if you make a college team have to drive the ball 75, 80 yards, it's pretty hard for them to put a number of plays together to do so. But if you give up explosion plays, whether it's vertically or horizontally, giving up the edge, then it makes it much easier. So giving up, not giving up explosion plays is the new key to playing defense. And, and then that being said, Getting a negative play here or there, mm-hmm. putting the offense behind the chains really helps you. Nick Aliotti, former Duck defensive coordinator, now a studio analyst with the Pac-12 Network, joining us on Countdown to Kickoff on Oregon College Game Day, 102-9-750 the game. Uh, Coach, as we talk in early September, week two of the season, you, you emphasize the importance of limiting explosion plays. How does coaching tackling fit into that this early in the year? The Ducks had a, a handful of missed tackles that they weren't proud of in week one. Is tackling one of those fundamental things that you are preaching and preaching and preaching these first three weeks while you can because Stanford is coming up week four and missed tackles won't fly that game. You know, we we practiced tackling every day. I I, I, I liken it. I, my, D, my old DBs, the first year I became the coordinator and the DB coach back in 94 at Oregon, the first drill we did with the secondary, they're used to backpedaling and do all these fancy footwork stuff. We <laughs> tackled for the first 15 minutes. And they probably looked at me and said, oh, boy, what did we get ourselves into? But tackling, we practiced tackling every day when I was a coordinator at at, uh, Oregon. But nowadays, because of the limited contact and Mm -hmm. the concussion protocol, the way you practice uh, college, NFL, there's not as much live tackling. And, And I'll tell you what, that has taken away that art. 
it, it, it's a lost art. It really is in, in college football because you don't practice that much. But you better find drills, even though they're not full speed, where guys are learning how to move their body in space and at the very least being able to grab a guy. Now, the one thing I used to kid about is a guy would say, well, you know, you got to teach tackling. Well, if Nick Aliotti was trying to stand in front of DeAnthony Thomas one-on-one in space and trying to tackle him, I could tackle, I could be a great tackler, but I'm not going to tackle DeAnthony. So those matchups sometimes account for poor tackling. And, and, and Nick, there's Neil Lomax here again. Expand on that a little more because I'm I'm in high school. I've been coaching high school, working with athletic directors, working with coaches. We've gone to the heads up clinics. We've gone to the USA tackling. It it is. It's so important. It is a lost art. But this we're not talking about the old days of the Oklahoma. We're not talking about the old days of hey, get 20 yards away. Let's do some Smash Mouth here. This ain't Bear Bryant. This ain't the Junction City Boys. But the videos that the Seahawks send down, the videos that are online now, Nick, that show the proper leverage, the proper you know the near foot, near shoulder, the technique. There's such an art in that. I'd like for you to explain more of that to the, to our listeners. Yeah, yeah, you know it. it it's changed, Neil. You're right. And, and people are tackling. You know, we used to get our head across the bow. Now people are tackling with their head behind the ball carrier, getting that near foot, near shoulder. They call it cheek to cheek, running through the tackle, driving your feet, and then rolling. That's a, a new art that that I've been. I've watched those tapes because I was curious. People are trying to keep their. It is said that. Keeping your head out of the tackle is still just as effective. Now, uh, since I've been out of coaching, it's hard for me to say if it is or it isn't. I know it's safer. I know it's safer. But that's the new way of tackling. Tackling behind the ball carrier, if you will, and and get your head on the opposite side of what we were taught or what I taught when I was coaching. So that's the new thing going. Um but still, no matter how you teach tackling, it's still a matter of getting your feet, tapping your feet, getting a close enough to your target, closing the ground fast. You're running fast towards the ball carrier space. Then you must tamp your feet, get close enough to step on his toes, and then follow through with the tackle. Nick Aliotti joining us here on Countdown to Kickoff. The Ducks are playing Portland State, of course, uh, Coach. What was it like when you were getting ready for an opponent that you knew from a personnel standpoint your team was the overwhelming favorite, but you want to make sure that you still maximize the opportunity to play against an FCS school and, and not let your players slack off mentally or physically? What was that week of practice like when you were gearing up for a game like this? You know, I was probably tougher on the guys in a week like this because everybody expects you to win, and, and the, the bad thing about these kind of games is you never could win good enough. You know, the spread, let, let's face it, Oregon is a strong favorite over Portland State, and they should be. But what I came back to was with the guys it's always is that we had a standard of excellence or a standard of what our defense because I'm speaking as a defensive coordinator, but offensively also, we have a standard of what this thing should look like, how you should play. It shouldn't be any different whether you're playing Portland State or Stanford. That standard, that picture of how we practice and how we play, if we want to get to where we need to be or where we want to be at the end of the season, should never change. And the real good ones, like the Neil Lomaxes, they understand that. 
Well, at Portland yeah, State, though. <laughs> yeah. What's that deal? I was going to say, at Portland, you know at Portland State, though, we, we couldn't play a local high school to make that feel that way. So for Oregon to play Portland State, thanks for the check. Now, let me give you a few names, though, Coach Nick. A couple names to look at, okay? I, I, I talked to Barney a few days ago, so... You might see a three-headed monster. You might see three quarterbacks in the day. Davis is going to play Alexander. Jelani Eason. I think Danny Velasquez is going to get in as well. So you're going to see three guys. He's going to try to go spread it out, but just run it, run it, run it. Uh, Darian Green, uh, 33, I I think, and, and Barney thinks their best running back offensively. Uh, but the guy who is they're telling us is a pro prospect, better than a, a Julius Thomas, they're saying, is Charlie T., Charlie Tomamiao, uh, he's the tight end number 89, had two huge plays last week. And those are kind of three or four names you should be looking for offensively for the Vikes. Okay, I, and I like Barney's plan. I think if I'm Portland State, uh, you know, you play the game for a reason. You never know. But if I'm Portland State, I'm taking the air out of the ball. I'm using that whole clock. I'm trying to keep this thing as close as I can. Uh, in in the fourth quarter and see what I can do from there. I'm not going to go crazy because I think if he goes crazy and it's a quick three and out, uh, I believe Oregon's going to score a lot of points. After watching Herbert last season and the way he threw the ball last week, my goodness, boy, does he look good. So I would want to keep the ball as long as I can, keep the chains moving, and really take the air out of the clock so this thing doesn't get to be – uh, a laugher. And I know Portland came off of a very tough, bad beat against Nevada last week. So uh, that would be my plan. Yeah, well, that, that's that's always that's what it is, though. It's a plan. Can you execute the plan? <laughs> it's always easier said than done, though, Nick. And then it's crazy. Hey, we I, I loved your segment last week. What's going on with the UC Davis area? Uh, Oregon State's playing Southern Utah. Demario Warren, he's from. I mean, there's like 90 coaches from that Sonoma Davis. What's, what's going on? Well, I, it's hard to explain. I think a lot of us, we were, we were blessed. This was Division Two, And I think Portland, was Portland State Division Two when you played Neil? Yeah, they had, they had it one double A. Then we went to Division Two and got with the Boise States and those kind of for a while. And, you know, it, it depended on your scholarships and all that. But, yeah, one double A in Division Two. Well, I think I really was blessed to have some – Great coaches, Jim Soaker, the late Jim Soaker, who is a Hall of Fame coach, we won 20-something straight championships at UC Davis. Wow. And these, these, yeah, these guys made it fun, Neil. They made it fun. So the guys like Mike Bellotti and myself and Chris Peterson and Dan Hawkins and Demario Warren and, and on and on and Gary Patterson and those guys – we all loved our coaches, loved the game, so we decided, hey, let's try this coaching thing, and then we fell in love with it. Little did we know that the higher level you get, it's quite not, not like the UC Davis atmosphere that we were used to. We didn't have a spring ball. We played intramurals during the offseason. <laughs> yep. So yeah, it was, it was a whole lot of fun. And I, <laughs> and I tell you what, I really enjoyed it, and that's what got me into coaching. I loved the game, and I loved my coaches. And I love the atmosphere, but things have really changed. And the higher you get, the more pressure. And it's way different uh, coaching at Oregon than it was at UC Davis. Yeah, I got to love that. 
Nick Aliotti, Pac-12 Network, former Duck defensive coordinator. Coach, always good to talk football with you, hearing you interact with Neil Lomax talking football. That's special. Hey, thanks so much for taking the time today, and uh, we look forward to connecting with you, talking football all season long. I look forward to it, guys. You guys have a great day. Boom. Thanks, Coach. There he is, Nick Aliotti. Here on Countdown to Kickoff, 102.9-750. The game, catch him on the Pac-12 Network, breaking down all the games. All right, we are due for a break. In four minutes, we'll be right back. Talking and giving some love to more of the Portland State guys. Yeah. There's a couple guys that you know personally on this roster, Neil, that uh, I want to get your thoughts on from your from your high school days, coaching at Roosevelt and, and what these guys are, are going up against, you know, playing in Austin. We're going to do that. We're also going to talk to Andrew Greif. We'll get all the picks for the Pac-12 games. This is Countdown to Kickoff on 102.9 and 7.50 the game. Ducks, Portland State coming up at 11 o'clock. Watch it on the Pac-12 network. Right after final whistle, tune back into 102.9 7.50 the game for the Oregon College Football Post Game Show. Myself, Judah Newby, with Neil Lomax, the College Football Hall of Famer, taking your calls at 503-417-7575, sounding off on Ducks, Portland State later today. We've already had Daryl Mouse Davis. That was an incredible conversation. Neil's old college coach <laughs> with the run and shoot on the park blocks as uh, we're setting up the themes for Portland State and Oregon. Neil, let's continue with uh, the Portland State angle of this and give some of these athletes and these players some love, even though... Uh, Obviously, the season outlook is different for these two teams on the field. There's a lot of local ties, and there's a lot of really good stories that are on this Portland State roster that Barney Ball has going. Yeah, I think it's exciting for, uh, I think there's 25, 30 kids in the metro area, Oregon area, southwest Washington, um, you know, Bothell, the, all those schools, Seattle, Northwest. That What, what a chance, what an opportunity to go down to Autzen, uh, you know, play in the big time. That crowd, that atmosphere. I was talking to Jordan about it a little earlier. Just, I, I would just, it would make my life if Portland, if I was able to go play, right. you know, Washington State or if Oregon State allowed us to play back in those days. Because I follow those guys. You're, let's, let's, let's don't let's don't beat any bush around. When you're at Portland State in the school, that we're watching these schools play and kind of hope I could play there. You know, you're kind of telling yourself, I, you know what? I wish I had the chance to go there and play in the big time, but. As my good coach friend Frosty Westerling said at PLU, make the big time where you're at. Hmm. So we did that at Portland State. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of local talent on here, Judah. A lot of local kids. Charlie T, the the tight end, and let's give it our best shot with the pronunciation. Uh, we were working through this yeah, for, yeah. for well, a few minutes. Hey, what, and, and Barney, I talk to Barney because I butcher all these Islander <laughs> names. I, 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 there's so many vowels. I mean, can I, what valve do you pronounce? I mean, but it's Toma, Mayaya. Charlie Toma Mayaya is what beautiful Bruce, but it, Charlie T. We're gonna call you Charlie. We sorry we put your name and then my Roosevelt buddies. I mean, Samiz Kofi is manning up. I want folks to watch ninety five. Okay, ninety five defensive tackle. I uh, had the pleasure of coaching this young man at Roosevelt for a few years, and he's still there. And the kid's a beast. Barney says he's a beast, and he had a good buddy, and we called him Junior Sioni Tahaunga. Mm-hmm. And Sione uh, went on a mission, came back. He's married now. He's not playing. He would have started. Uh, but Samiz and Sione were two of our absolute studs at Roosevelt. And uh, there's a lot of local talent uh, from the local area. And a couple names I wanted. The, the linebacker from Tigard who came back from Eastern Washington, Sam Enos. Enos, he's, he's going to be a, a player to watch. So number three. Um, so defensively on that side, and then again, like I said, the three quarterbacks. Interesting to see how Barney kind of mixes that up offensively. 
uh, to put those quarterbacks in if he's really going to play all three or not. Because Davis Alexander is going to get most majority of the snaps. So, but the pressure, it's on the defense. Payam Sadat is a new defensive coordinator in charge of the D line. Let's face it, guy. I mean, can you just kind of contain this high-powered offense from Oregon and keep them in that 45, 50 point area and let them at least work? And and Coach Aliotti said it. They're not chunk plays. They're explosion explosion plays. And Oregon is all about the explosion play. We saw it last week, Judah, against Bowling Green. You got a 3-4 defense that uh, Portland State's running here. And Houston Barnes, you know, he's a Mike linebacker on the depth chart. I've been reading earlier this week that you'll see him play a lot of more safety, though. Number nine for Portland State, Houston Barnes. Transfer from Feather River Junior College. That's in the state of California, but his home is Lanet, Alabama. Redshirt senior. Reading this week earlier, Houston Barnes, he's playing with a club on his on his hand, and he's still making picks in practice. It's a padded cast. Sure. Uh, don't call it a club. Well, I, I, you know, I, mean, I, I can can't play with a club. He's playing with a padded cast. fierce padded cast <laughs> as the tough SOB he that tough. he is. But uh, you can really identify, you mentioned Samiz Kofi, you know, on the defensive line, Houston Barnes, linebacker slash roving safety, and Sam Minos from Tigard and Eastern Washington transfer. Right playmaker on every level of that defense that you can identify, and I'm looking forward to seeing the effort that these guys have against the big boys today. But you can't simulate that speed and athleticism in practice. You try. You try to get the scout team guys, the second team guys, to to, to do the spread, to do what Oregon does, but they don't have number 10. They don't have a Justin Herbert at practice for three or four days a week. You can do all you want watching film. You can simulate it the best you can, but nothing is against the real thing, and that's the hardest part. I've been doing this for a long, long time to try to get the defense on scout, hey, give us a good look. Give us a good look. Well, okay, we don't have Taj Griffin. Okay, we don't have TBJ. Okay, we don't have JJ. We don't have Jay Johnson. We don't have Justin Herbert. You know, you don't have those guys. And Breland and all those tight ends that Oregon's going to have now. Dylan's going to be playing this week. That's right. Kenan Dillon because Cam McCormick broke his leg. So now I'm, in, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do at the wide position, what happens at that tight end because pretty much non-existent. Uh, against Bowling Green. So you can't simulate it. So, Coach Sadat, <laughs> good luck to you, brother. Hang good in there. Luck, bro. <laughs> Charlie T, though, on our way out, Julius Thomas went to two Pro Bowls from Portland State as a fourth-round draft pick, won a Super Bowl, or at least, no, he didn't win a Super Bowl. He went to a Super went, Bowl yeah. with Peyton Manning, but he wasn't on that Super Bowl 50 team with Denver when they won. He was off the team by then, but you're talking about a two-time Pro Bowler from Portland State, and you're saying Charlie T can be better than him. Bruce Barnum is absolutely uh, impressed, uh, in love with this guy offensively. He made the big plays for them against Nevada. There weren't a whole lot, uh, but he did say they played so well offensively in the first half. Uh, Darian Green ran the ball really, really well. They're going to mix it up a little bit, the running game, but they're still going to spread them up, spread them out, try to run, and I'm curious to see how the three quarter, if in fact they do use the three quarterback system. Um, but yeah, this we'll be talking about Charlie T for uh, weeks and weeks to come. He's Neil Lomax, the Portland State legend. I'm Judah Newby. You're listening to Countdown to Kickoff. Go to break. Come back in four minutes. Andrew Kreif of the Oregonian joins us to break down this game. We'll also give our picks on this and the rest of the games in the Pac-12. This is Countdown to Kickoff on 1029 750 the game. Love's jet on a Saturday morning. 20 minutes away from Ducks Vikings. Countdown to Kickoff. Judah Newby, Neil Lomax. Going to go out to the uh, phones here, setting you up for Ducks Portland State. 
with the Oregon Duck uh, beat writer for the Oregonian, Andrew Greif. Follow him on Twitter at Andrew Greif. Andrew, thanks for taking the time. And we obviously know that the uh, Ducks are favored in this game, and uh, but what's their attitude like as they're getting ready to take on Barney Ball? A lot of respect for the Portland State program. Everyone uh, from players to coaches said that you know Portland State is going to play really hard. You know, this is one of those games that I think if you're an FCS program, you may play kind of these money games several times a year, even. But when it's an in-state team, I think it's a little bit different because you know these are maybe this U of O is probably a school that. Some of these guys want to play for and didn't get a chance. It's a chance to really show out for a lot of home state kids, a guy who uh, maybe think they probably deserve a little more of a shot from Power 5 teams and recruiting. Who knows? But it is a chance to kind of have a showcase game right in your backyard. So I think there's a lot of pride, and the Ducks certainly know that. And, and Cristobal in particular was saying that the defense that Portland State runs, they've, they've never practiced against it until this week. They've never I've seen it on film, so he was very complimentary that it's a complex team with schemes that are going to have to be prepared for. They're not taking this week any any lighter than it was Bowling Green. Week one to week two progression, what are some categories that the Ducks are uh, trying to improve upon from last week? Um, you know, holding on to the ball is one that uh, was talked about. You know, the big plays that were, that were lost because of drops, I think... Herbert had four of his passes dropped. At least a couple of them would have gone for 20-plus yards. That was something that Jalen Red, a sophomore wide receiver, said that when he dropped an early pass, Herbert's second pass of the day, and, and potentially it could have gone for a 78-yard touchdown, he said that he was pacing the sidelines afterwards saying, give me the ball, I'm going to make you a play. And sure enough, he did. He caught a critical fourth-down touchdown that really got the Ducks' comeback going last week. I think that that is something that he, you know, it's not something the Ducks wanted to see out of the receiving core early on. Even Cristobal said it. It wasn't jitters. It was just not getting the job done. So they want to get that ironed out. They want to make sure that the, the big play opportunities that are there are taken advantage of. And then I think defensively, they're starting out quicker. You know, they Bowling Green was a good offense. I don't think that, you know, Andrew St. Clair and quarterback, they were, they were a capable offense that I don't think the Ducks should be ashamed about playing that way. But the start was just not what Chris Ball wanted. You know, there have been times in practices this fall camp where Chris Ball gets on guys. He kind of, you know, yells at guys that the start, the focus, the energy they're showing is not what he wants. And clearly the way to start the season down 10 nothing was not the way he wanted. So I would just expect a more efficient team early. Does Oregon kind of have to create their own energy early on with, uh, you know, the home crowd I would imagine is probably not as revved up as it will be in week four and, and in week six when the Ducks play Stanford and Washington. Uh, so, I don't know. What, what was the atmosphere in Austin like last week, and what do you anticipate it like being this week with the early kickoff, and how does that affect Oregon's energy right out of the gate? Yeah, I think that what might affect the energy in the stadium is probably more so the kickoff time than the opponent. Because I think that, you know, if Oregon is playing uh, Portland State, you know, 7.30 kickoff, or just, I think that the crowd would be in, as into it as any opponent. But the 11 a.m., I think you're obviously running the risk of people kind of uh, kind of rubbing their eyes and just kind of waking up for this. Um, there won't be any college students there, really. The students aren't in session yet. So the Ducks will have to come out and, like you said, make some of their own energy. But, again, I just think that um, the way they started last week, that should be, and I think that was, a little bit of a wake-up call 
Um, for the Ducks that you can't just come out and expect that you're going to be better than because of your Power 5 team. I, I think you will see a sharper team come out uh, because of last week's slow start. Tight end Cam McCormick gone for the season. Long term, who is going to be highlighted to step up and take over that position? Uh, Short term today, from a depth perspective, who do you think is going to make an impact? Yeah, that was unfortunate to see McCormick get injured because he really was, uh, he lost his senior year of high school to an injury last year. He was coming off of uh, rhabdo in the offseason, so he said that kind of hampered his offseason by several weeks. And so this was really the first time he'd been healthy, you know, like fully healthy in a long time, and of course injures himself in the first game. I think the long-term and short-term solution at tight end is probably the same. Uh, Jacob Breland was a starter last year. He was a de facto starter last week as well because they ran so many two tight end sets. He is, you know, I guess officially on that first line of the depth chart now, but he was really there all along. He's coming off a back injury in the offseason while weightlifting, but he said he feels fine, had a little bit of a thumb injury against uh, Bowling Green, but other than that, he was great. Then behind him, there's Keno Dillon, a South Florida graduate transfer, big guy who came to Oregon to play with Herbert. He said that. Um, and then you have Ryan Bay, who is a guy from Tiger that I don't think a whole lot of casual fans know, but the coaches go out of their way, like Cristobal especially, to really say he's very smart, a very good blocker, maybe one of the best blockers, a non-offensive lineman on the entire team. So that's kind of your big three. But And you could also see Spencer Webb, a true freshman out of California, who's a more polished receiver than blocker at this point. But Chris Paul said they're going to play all their tight ends now. Do you expect more touches for Tony Brooks-James today? I do. Yeah, five carries was, I think, less than anyone predicted. Um, and he was still efficient, you know, led the Ducks in all-purpose yardage because he had some kickoff returns as well. Uh, and he had a really nice, I believe, 53-yard reception. But I think you will see him get more than five carries. You know, at, so, at some point they're going to have to winnow down the rotation. You can't play six running backs every week. And so maybe this is a chance to get him, you know, a little closer to what a more typical workload will be like and see how he handles it. Andrew, season-long prognostication for this Oregon team do you think they have what it takes to become maybe a 10-win unit and uh, go above their projected you know, 8- or 9-win total? I, I do. I do think they could do that um, because I think I like their schedule. And I, The way I see it, I think that Washington um, is, shapes up, is, in my opinion, probably a defeat. And I'm a little worried about that Utah road game because Utah is very deep. And people who have seen the Utes I've talked with say that they are uh, extremely talented. The Utes always seem to have a kind of a funky back half of the season where, uh, I don't know, losses kind of come out of nowhere. We'll see if that affects this team as well, but at least early on, people are really high on them. So I think those are two games I see as losses. But beyond that, I don't see an obvious third loss. There might be one in there. Um, 12 is even weirder. Can't predict it. But I, I think that they do have a really good shot of going 10-2. And, you know, depending on how Washington plays, even if Washington beats Oregon, Oregon could still potentially be in the Pac-12 North conversation if Washington were to stumble. Did you make a preseason prediction for a North and South champion that you might be willing to disclose? <laughs> I didn't end up making that. Um, I didn't publish one. I didn't even think about it. But I think that if I were to, to say, I think that uh, Washington would be my Pac-12 North uh, preseason prediction and then USC in the South with, with Utah right behind them.
Any other last-minute injury updates that you have for the Oregon roster? No, you know, I wasn't at practice Wednesday, but as of Tuesday, Diamador Lenore um, and Lamar Winston were both uh, limited in practice or held out. I'm not sure exactly where they stand right now, but because of, again, this game is expected to be a route. Uh, this isn't, you know, I don't, I don't have a final status on them, but I think that if it were push come to shove and you're Oregon, I think you probably take the opportunity to hold them out, but I guess we'll see how they do, and if they're healthy, um, obviously the players will want to play. So I guess we'll find out in probably a few minutes. Agreed there. Uh, let's wrap up on a personal note, Andrew. This is uh, the final game that you are covering the Oregon Duck football program. Uh, you went to University of Oregon. You worked at the Register Guard. You've covered them for the Oregonian and Oregon Live. The next chapter in your career is uh, forthcoming, going down to the L.A. Times to cover the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you for myself and thank you for the radio listeners that have uh, been privy to your coverage of college football in this state uh, for the last handful of years. And best of luck to you, my my friend, and you and your family uh, during this next chapter. You will be missed up here. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate the time you've had me on the on the radio countless times. And um, yeah, I just I just really appreciate it. It's, it's exciting. And I'll be definitely following this program from afar, and I'm really, really curious to see how they, how they, you know, take advantage of this schedule and this and the talent on this roster. And just because I won't be around them every day doesn't mean I won't be watching every Saturday because I'm just as curious as anybody how the season's going to turn out. So, thank you very much, Judah. Looking forward to that Steve Ballmer profile. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> That'll be great, Andrew. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it. There he is, Andrew Greif. Can't wait to see him at Moda Center when the Clippers take on the Blazers. Best of luck, Andrew. Solid individual. Love talking to you off the air just as much as we enjoy talking to you on the air. Best of uh, luck to you and and your family and your little baby and uh, the future of your family down in SoCal. All right, wrap it up. One more segment in front of us. We'll get Neil's picks on the Pac-12 action and then uh, hand it off at the top of the hour. Be sure to watch Ducks Vikings on the Pac-12 network at 11 a.m. This is Countdown to Kickoff on the game. Rapid fire through this last segment, approaching kickoff for Ducks, Portland State. Neil Lomax, Judah Newby, Houston up on Arizona at halftime, 31 to nothing. Kevin Sumlin making his return to Houston, where he coached four years and took the Cougars to three bowl games. But his air raid attack is getting absolutely smothered right now. 31 zip at half, Neil? What's going on? Air raid. <laughs> what is this? I want to see a run raid. I mean, but Khalil Tate. I mean, last year the guy rushed, he averaged like, I think, 89, 95 yards rushing. Had a couple games, 180, 140-yard rushing game. He's carried the ball three times for minus five. So probably a sack in there. So, again, quarterbacks who get sacked counts as a rush. In college. That guy is a triple threat. Runs, throws, and reads. I, I, that's so disappointing. UCLA in Oklahoma. UCLA was a plus 29.5-point underdog going into Norman. End of the first quarter, they're hanging in there. 14-7 to with the six-ranked Sooners. UCLA is down by a touchdown. They are. They are. And, uh, you know, this is this is a good game. I mean, Dorian Thomas is playing. They had, their, their starting quarterback got hurt uh, last week. But you know, Kyler Murray, uh, I, I would put him top three, top four athletes in the entire country. Guy's a baller. He, by the way, he's drafted by the Oakland A's, right, in baseball? Ninth overall. Stud. Absolute stud. All right, I can't wait for this one. Memorial Stadium is going to be lit at 1230 to see their boy, Scott Frost, 
debut with the Nebraska Huskers taking on their former rival out of the Big 7, the Big 8, the Big 12 Conference. Colorado Buffaloes, come on down. 12.30 kickoff. Nebraska favored by exactly three points, Neil. This is a good game. Colorado it, underrated in the Pac-12 South. Yeah, they are, but it, it, cut, it should have been more if, if Nebraska got a game last week. Right. They had the game canceled against the Akron Zips because of the, the, the thunderstorm. So I still think uh, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, with Scott Frost and the mojo and the vibe going, they'll pull this out. The line is starting to shrink down on the farm. Stanford down to a five-point favorite. The 10th-ranked Cardinal hosting JT Daniels and the 17th-ranked Trojans. USC, both of our picks to win the South. JT Daniels, first true road game at 5.30 on Fox. How is he going to handle it? I, I still, we talked about it earlier, feel overall, defensively, offensively, special teams, USC just has better athletes. You're going to play these four quarters. They'll come away with a victory. Finally, Ducks, Portland State. We know uh, you've got a little bet for coconut milk <laughs> with Jordan Kent. Well, 67 and a half and, points for the Ducks over or under? Yeah, yeah. And I talked to Barney, and, and you know, Barney told me the second quarter he's going to put his second stringers in and pull, pull the gas pedal off because they're just going to kill the Ducks. So, you know, he told me, I don't want to run it up like you guys used to do at Portland when you played with Mouse. I don't want to put 70, 105 points on Oregon. So I'm going to take it easy on the Ducks this week. <laughs> a little bit. Ducks Portland State, back 12 network. Watch it right after final whistle. Tune back here. 1029 750 the game for the Oregon College Football Postgame Show with myself and Neil Lomax and you at 503-417-7575. Watch the game. Get your reaction. Get your questions. Talk to Neil Lomax on the radio. Doesn't get any better than that, folks. We'll see you in about three and a half hours. You're listening to Oregon College Game Day. 1029 750 the game.